0: Order nothing ontological oxymorons. I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, a doctoral student in psychology, and with me today is a special guest, Professor Craig Van Slyke. Craig is a fellow philosophy podcaster who focuses on what it means to live a fulfilling life, drawing on influences ranging from stoicism to modern positive psychology. Today we'll be examining the topic of self-leadership: what it is, where it came from, and what it means. All right, Craig, thanks for being on the show. Um, why don't you go ahead and tell the listeners about yourself? Sure. Uh, I'm a professor
1: of uh, computer information systems and have been for a long time now. I'm a former business school dean, department chair, associate dean. Um, prior to that, I spent about 10 years in the in industry, primarily in the engineering world. Uh, I was an early... Uh, adopter and early implementer of computer-aided drafting so you can tell that was a long time ago and i currently teach at louisiana tech university but full disclaimer what i'm saying here has nothing to do with my university or really my job there Uh, my wife and i and her mother live literally in the middle of the woods in uh, in northeast louisiana we have three dogs three cats two goats and two horses on got about 30 acres here that uh is literally surrounded by wood, so it's a nice, peaceful existence, and it was a great place to be during COVID without a doubt.
0: Nice, yeah. Um, I'm from New York, so everybody assumes I'm from the city, but I'm from Western New York, so I'm kind of out in the middle of nowhere, too. We get <laughs> there's kind of there's 60 acres that we can do stuff on and, and whatnot. Um, nice. but that's great. I, um, I I knew some of your background from the things I had seen online. I've listened to uh, a couple of your podcasts. I like them; they're they're short, so it was easy to get through a bunch of them. And, and uh, it was interesting to hear what you what you had to say about some stuff. I, I can't wait to dive into it. Um, why don't you tell us what is self leadership in, in a nutshell? What's kind of the overview of it?
1: So leadership um, is trying to persuade others to get others to act in some coordinated manner achieving some sort of a goal or serving some sort of a purpose. Self-leadership, to me, is simply doing that for yourself. So it's really a matter of trying to take control of your life and live it in a more purposeful way And, and purposeful on a couple of different levels. So maybe one level is like intentional. So really trying to be more intentional about what you do, how you think, who you want to become, that sort of thing. So just like an organization has a leader, that tries to get everybody coordinated and moving in the same direction. Well, you know, your, your brain and your daily activities and that sort of thing for most of us are just kind of scattered. And so self-leadership is trying to bring that back into focus and getting all those pieces of your life pulling in the same direction.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I can relate to that a little bit. I, um, my day jobs, I'm a, a plant manager for, um, a manufacturing plant and, um, you know, I I can see the the crossover there. Um, sometimes it's easy to go home and and it's if if you're not focused or having a purpose in what you're doing, it's a lot like if if I didn't show up for work one day and the employees just were able to do whatever they wanted, right? If I just go home and I don't, yeah. If I if yeah. I go home and I don't have a plan for what I'm going to do, I I don't end up doing anything really, right? Um. So what are the what are the pillars of self leadership? So,
1: this is a model that I developed with uh, Andrea Christelle, who is a philosophy professor. We were both at Northern Arizona University at the time. She was working in public philosophy, and I was dean of the business school. And we taught a freshman seminar on self-leadership. You know, when you teach, you want to have some kind of an organizing framework where students can kind of see how all the pieces fit together. And so, we developed this idea Of the pillars of self leadership, and so it's four pillars: purposefulness, mindfulness, reflection, and practice. And if we can kind of tie most of what we would want to talk about regarding self leadership into those pillars, and so they all support your your this idea of your taking of you taking control of yourself.
0: Interesting. Okay, yeah. I, when I was listening to the podcast and you were talking about the pillars of self leadership, I thought this is this is cool stuff because um, what we like to do in the show is just take one topic, kind of like we are today, and then really um, dissect it philosophically and look at um what what the uh, sort of constituent parts mean. So to me, like um, calling out those four things as being um integral to this idea of self-leadership is um is really important and I'd like to I'd like to look at them all um each individually sure. a little bit as we as we dive into it. So um we'll we'll ask some formative questions first. I, I think you covered it a little bit. Um so where did the concept of self-leadership come from? You said you developed it with somebody else. What was the impetus for that? Where what was the inspiration?
1: You know I, I can't really remember why I started thinking about it and just to, to be clear, a um, um, professor by the name of uh, Manz, M-A-N-Z, kind of developed this con- this concept in the research realm and so we picked up on it uh, even though they have a different way of looking at it than we do. But I, but I think it really came out of me wanting to exert some kind of control over my own life. Like, like a lot of people, I kind of let life happen to me um, for the first part of my life, you know, since that I graduated from college a long time ago, had a degree in business, which, um, you know, I enjoy it. I like business. I'm still in that college, but I didn't have this really tight view of what I wanted to do with my life. And so I took a job teaching high school and I'd coached basketball for a couple of years. And I kind of liked it. I taught high school for one year and I thought, oh, good Lord, I don't want to do this the rest of my life. So I went back to school, got an MBA and really didn't know any more about what I wanted to do with my life. And so it kind of went along that path. I started a business, you know, a small business selling computer-aided drafting systems, ran that for a while, sold it, went to work for a couple of my clients. But there was just, it was almost like letting the tides push me around or letting the wind push me around. You know, it wasn't quite the path of least resistance, but it wasn't far from that. And then finally, um, you know, I kind of settled into this idea of, of being an academic. Uh, really, by happenstance, I had been teaching part time at a at a local college, and we were we were training for a, a marathon, a bunch of us. And I was complaining about my job and talking about how much I liked teaching and one of the guys said, well, why don't you teach full time? I said, nah, you know, you got to get a PhD to do that really right, which you don't really have to do, but that's, you know, a good path to follow. And he said, well, why don't you get a PhD? Well, I didn't have a good answer for that. So I, I finally, you know, took some level of control and said, okay, this is who I want to be. I want to be a college professor, quit my job, went back to school, you know, was poor for four years and So so I've I've thought a lot about why did it take me so long? You know, it took me 10, 12 years to really settle into finding my purpose in life. And it really took me longer than that to really nail the purpose. But well, how can I help other people start to think about this a little bit earlier? You know, we were teaching freshmen, so they're 18-ish years old. You know, let me get them started on thinking about. How they can live the sort of life they want to leave, they want to live. And, you know, we just kind of broke it down. You know, you know how these sort of things go. You have all these topics and you're trying to organize them under different categories. But really what drove it all for me was purposefulness. That, that's the most important one. And everything else flows from that. And so once we had that settled, you know, mindfulness comes out of, not so much the Buddhist tradition, but um, really management of being aware of what's going on in your environment. You know, not not just being out there without your radar out seeing what's happening. Reflection came out of my experience at St. Louis University, which is a Jesuit school, and they're huge on reflection, both as a personal practice and as an educational practice. And then the idea of practice, Andrea contributed that. That's from Aristotle. You know, how, nice. how do how do you become something? Well, through practice. Right. Sorry, that felt kind of long-winded, but that's the. No, story. that's fine.
0: That's that's absolutely fine. Like we're uh, we're not too structured on here, so shows will go anywhere from you know thirty-eight minutes to an hour and fifteen. So, um, however however long it takes to answer a question, we're just interested in getting uh, getting down to uh, the the essence of the answer more than how long or how short it takes. Um, so that that's really interesting to me. Um, so th- this idea of self-leadership was sort of born out of your your own personal experience. And the thing that sort of struck me about it when you were talking about it is that um it doesn't seem um, it, as you described it, it didn't seem like your life up to that point was something that lots of people would say,, um, was uh, was like a useless venture, right? A lot of people wouldn't say, "Oh, well, he wasn't just like sitting on the couch watching TV." After no, like, okay, well, he he had some degrees and he started a business and he did this stuff. Um, so a lot of people look at that and say, "Oh, well, it doesn't sit, it doesn't sound like there was anything to to complain about." But I think that that's that's misleading, right? Because it doesn't matter um, the level of success that you achieve or the things that you're doing. I think that. What you're hitting at, and probably what you'll you'll delve into a little bit here, is, um, you know, you could, you know, I'm a musician, right? So I could I could write a song in, in my studio, and and suddenly it would hit the top of the charts, and I'd be famous or rich or whatever, right? But that wouldn't change the essence of my life and and how I'm living and how I feel about how I'm living. And I think that throughout the history of, of humanity, you see that several times. You see music, musicians with these high suicide rates or these different problems that they might have. And some of it might even be directly attributable to some of their success. And that speaks to something deeper than this sort of superficial or, um, you know, explicit um, indicators of worth that we put on things in society versus what it means to live a fulfilling life.
1: Yeah, um, totally, I totally agree with that, by the way. Although, having a hit song wouldn't be a bad
0: thing. No, it'd be cool. Yeah, I'd, I'd be all for it. <laughs> did, is it. Did you do your theme song? I'm just curious. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's really yeah.
1: good. I, I, it's funny, I, when oh. I was listening to uh, the, the first episode, I thought, how did he get that licensed? Because you know, it, right. sound, it sounded so good. It's like, you know, oh, wow, You know, how did he pull yeah. that off? So.
0: Yeah, no, that's me. Yeah, so I... I've got a recording studio. Um, a little bit of a little bit of background on me. People who listen to the show probably know a little bit here and there, but I don't I don't actually talk about myself too much. But I've got a recording studio and I play I play all the instruments, I write all the songs, I do all the mixing and mastering and stuff. Um and I've got a lot of different hobbies, right? And so this is this will be kind of pertinent to our, our discussion, right? Um you would you talked about how purposefulness is sort of this cornerstone of um of self leadership, um, and how in your personal journey um, it was that that sort of lack of purposefulness that led you into uh, discovering this. Um, I f- I find it f- interesting because sometimes I feel the same way. Like I'm I'm somebody. Um, <laughs> the way my wife likes to describe it is my biggest hobby is having hobbies, right? So I'm I'm a musician and a painter, and um, you know I I'm into fitness and I. I go to school. I'm getting my doctorate. It's pretty much for fun. I don't work in academics or anything, but I was in the army. So that allowed me to pay for school. And mm. I just, I've got a 3d printer and I, I, I do a whole bunch of different things and I, I really enjoy them and I have a good time and stuff, but I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Right. I don't know. I don't have this defined goal in mind. Um, the only thing that I know is I like learning new things. Right. And I like applying them to things. Um, but I don't know, you know, maybe I'm somebody who needs, um, some sort of self leadership, some, something to say, Hey, listen, this is, this is a purpose, a uniting sort of, uh, purpose. Um, so I want to, I want to comment if you don't mind on, on the phrase
1: that you used and you use the same thing, the same phrase that a lot of people do. I don't know what I want to be when I grow up, but part of the issue is the focus on what? And yeah. you want to focus on why. So what, why do I think I'm here? And I, I didn't make this up. This comes from Simon Sinek's uh, Start With Why, which he applied primarily to businesses. And if you, if you haven't watched that TED Talk, it's definitely worthwhile. It uh, really changed the way I viewed leadership and both professionally and personally. But it, what a, a purpose transcends that what. So, like, my, my purpose is to try to help people lead successful, meaningful lives. You know, th- that's what drove me as a dean. That's what drives me as a podcaster. You know, it's that same thing. How can I help other people find their purpose and use that purpose to live a meaningful life and to live a successful life? And so, that, that's the purpose. You know, exactly how you do that and what, you know, the world might label you as you're trying to pursue that purpose is really secondary to the purpose. That, that's why I, I really try to focus on this idea of the purpose driving everything. Everything should come back to that purpose. And so I'm glad you said it that way. We Folks, we did not uh, plan this in advance. It just worked <laughs> out. But But that's the problem is if somebody asks you, well, tell me about yourself, what's the first thing most people say? Well, I'm Where a plant work. manager. Yeah, 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 I'm a yeah, plant manager. Exactly. I'm a professor. You know, I'm a musician. Whatever. But it's, you know, that's an external label. And and what might be better, although it would sound really weird, is, well, tell me about you. You know, what do you do? Well, you know, I try to help people live successful, meaningful lives. You know, which would totally shut down any conversation. You know, as soon as you said that, it'd just be, "Oh God, he's going to try to sell me some book or something," and you know that would be it. But I think that it's a mindset change.
0: Yeah, no, I think that that's a good point. And I, that, yeah, I think that you're right. It, it depend on who you're talking to, but some people might might find that fascinating, and other people might say, "Okay, I'm find somebody else to talk to." <laughs> yeah, but no, I think that that's that's a really um, that was a really cool way of putting that. It transcends that um, that. Uh, what I want to be—it's—it's it's beyond that. We'll dive into that a little bit later. I have some questions that specifically pertain to that. Um, sure. So, looking at the formative a little bit more, um, what philosophies contributed to the development of self leadership?
1: So, I, I would say there are two and a half that kind of contributed. Aristotle. Um, Andrea is a, an Aristotle scholar, and so she brought a lot of that to the table and helped me understand some of his teachings. Um, the Stoics and, and maybe not in as direct a way as um, you might be thinking about but there's an undercurrent of Stoicism in a lot of this um, particularly particularly the idea of what you can control and what you can't control and then the the half is a bit of Buddhism but I, I really don't go too far with that I mean the, you know the the Buddhist mindfulness is a particular thing, but it's got that undercurrent of what you can, I mean, they wouldn't put it what you can control and what you can't, but, you know, what you can possess, which is basically nothing. You know, so it's still that same idea of, you know, what can you do? Well, you can, you know, look at yourself as being not yourself, but part of the universe. And I'm not a Buddhist uh, in any way, but that we drew on some aspects of Buddhism with the mindfulness piece, and then okay. I, I guess I would, you know, the reflection is in a lot of different philosophies, so I couldn't really tie that to
0: anyone. Yeah, that's what I'm. I'm kind of interested in is so. Um, you mentioned the mindfulness sort of stems from um, Buddhist philosophy, and you mentioned reflection in um, regards to um, your experience with like uh, the Jesuits. Um, are, what separates reflection and mindfulness, um, it, specifically as it relates to this?
1: So the the kind of mindfulness that that I'm talking about with self leadership is not the clear your mind kind of meditation, but it's this conscious awareness of the world around you, of others, of you know events, of sounds, of sights, whatever it is, and The the more mindful or or aware we can get, the more input we have for reflection. So if you have an encounter with somebody and you don't really pay attention to what they're saying, you don't pay attention to their reactions, you don't pay attention to the environment, what are you going to reflect on? Mm -hmm. You know, there's not enough there to really give much substance to you reflecting on that encounter. But if you're mindful... If you're really aware, you're watching nonverbal cues, you're paying attention to, you know, to what's going on around you. You know, is it a quiet corner of a coffee shop? Is it a loud bar? You know, where is it? You know, all of those things that are going on around you. When you sit down and think about whether or not that encounter went well or not so well, now the mindfulness has given you a lot of different things. You know, and I'm totally making stuff up here, but, you know, maybe we should have gotten out of that loud environment because it was a really serious discussion. And maybe we should have gone and found a park bench somewhere or, you know, a, a corner of a coffee shop, like I said, or maybe it would have been better to have it in a more active environment. You know, it got too heavy too quickly. And so maybe that was a, a product of the environment or maybe the, the person was saying one thing, but the nonverbal communication or the tone of voice was communicating something else and maybe you could have interpreted that a little bit more quickly but if you aren't mindful of those different aspects of what's going on you know how much can you learn from the encounter so really the the short answer is the mindfulness provides provides input into reflection
0: gotcha yeah that makes sense so it's kind of that what you're taking out of things in the moment and then reflection is sort of um integrating that with with your your prior thoughts and things and this is this is a big topic in um psychology and um education my master's degree was in education and they talked about this a lot and how it's affected by um very much by the things that you mentioned um like if if a learning environment for instance is, is too loud or too busy or something um that can really negatively impact um Learners, and not even all of them. You know, some some people can thrive in that kind of environment. Um, and other people need need quiet, need need something like that. Um, but also in addition to that, um, social media, right, and kind of the um, proliferation of technology works into that discussion as well. Um, you know, they say you know people uh, the brain gets used to these instant impulses these dopamine hits and things and um as a result people um they get in this this mindset they're they're sort of um conditioned into reacting and so a lot of people aren't listening to to understand they're listening to formulate what their response to something is going to be and in the process of doing that, they may not actually hear what what the other person's saying before they decide to to respond to it. Right. Um, so, um, yeah. So it's that that provides a pretty clear answer to to the question what the difference between mindfulness and reflection. There, I like that a lot. Is you know mindfulness is that sort of um, soaking up the sensory stimuli that you're receiving, and then reflection is. Integrating that with with what you know and what you're perceiving in order to uh, to formulate some some thoughts about it. Um. So the term self seems singular, but leadership implies at least two roles. Um, what does this dichotomy say about the complexity of personality? Do you think? Uh,
1: that's an interesting question. So. You know, I, and I am not an expert on this, so I could be way off what the current thinking is. But, but I think we have, at least I have this internal director's commentary that's kind of running in my brain half of the time. And so, you know, I'm doing something, but there's a, this other piece of it that's kind of soaking it in and, and evaluating, which it in the moment, which is not always good. And I think that's, trying to engage that part of your mind and being more intentional is probably where the duality comes in. Um, That's I'd have to think more about that because that's a really intriguing question, but I think that's where it it comes in.
0: Yeah. This is something that we we've talked about a few different times on the show and um, there's, there's some philosophical basis for it that, that stretches across different philosophers. Um, but really, it's this sort of separation between I and and me, like you. There's the I, and there's the me, and one of them is just like the being that exists, and then the other one is this this concept of the what's what's controlling you, right? They've used the the homunculus or the the ghost in the machine, that sort of thing. Right. Um, and I think that that's if I if I hear you right, I think that's kind of what self leadership is talking about is that a lot of us are going through life. Um, just letting the machine run, and there's there's no um there's no ghost behind it. There's nothing inspiring it. It's just kind of, okay, well, this is this is what I do on a day-to-day basis, and there's there is that lack of reflection that you're that you're you're mentioning
1: it, I mean we a lot of people, including myself with some frequency, we just go through life on autopilot, which I think is a different way of saying the same thing. You know, it's just kind of set in motion and you go um in fact uh, i don't know if you've are you familiar with the airplane movie yeah, the, yeah yeah so that's if i give a lecture on this i always have the autopilot you know the inflatable autopilot from airplane right on the slide you know because it, it i mean we really do um you know we just kind of drift along you,
0: yeah and I, you know it would i think the in psychology, they they trace that back to it being like an evolutionary adaptation, right? Where they're saying, "Well, it's necessary because if you if you didn't put some things on autopilot, you'd just be overwhelmed by like sensory input. You'd be constantly trying to figure out what's going on around you all the time. So some some measure of autopilot is necessary, and you can see that in human development too. Um, you know, children are born and they they grow this huge mass of neurons, um." And the most neurons you ever have in your life is when you're two years old. And then um, your brain starts to figure out what's important and what's not. And it begins to prune away things that aren't important. And it begins to myelinate things that are to increase speeds and, and protect them and things. And, um, you know, your cognition improves as a, as a result of it. So... Some measure of autopilot is necessary, right? We wouldn't wanna have to um really think hard about it every time we wanted to do a, a simple task like, you know, put one foot in front of the other to walk. Right. Um, but I think that it's it's maladaptive in the sense that um we get so good at it that we just start to applying it to things that are actually important and are actually the essence of, of living life.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's the trick, is to separate those things out um You know, what is it that I want to be intentional about? And what is it that I want to turn over to that, whatever you want to call it, the system one thinking or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Because we do have to have these automatic behaviors and automatic uh, even thoughts just to get through the day. But, you know, there's a balance. There's There's a mean. So one of the things Aristotle talks about is the mean. You want to have the you want to find the mean between the vice of deficiency, I think, is that right, and the vice of excess, and so you know somewhere, and it and it's not really a mean like it it would be mathematically, but somewhere between those two is the right balance for you. And I guess part of what what I would say is that a big part of self leadership is how do we find that balance between the necessary autopilot. And what we want to be intentional about, so not only finding the balance but putting the intentional on the right things
0: hmm. yeah, I think that is important the, and you know i i've never i had never heard the term self leadership before um before encountering you, but this same thing had had occurred to me at, at at a one point in my life when I was you know finally becoming an adult and entering like the working world and stuff and encountering um you know, the majority of people who are just saying things like, oh, well, I can't wait for the weekend, right? Like it's Monday and they're saying, well, you know, this weekend, like basically Monday through Friday was just thrown away, right? That's just, right. let's just get through this, right? We, there's Monday and then there's Tuesday and then there's, you know, hump day and then there's Friday junior and then there's Friday and then then we live our lives on Saturday and Sunday, Right. And I remember thinking, man, this sounds miserable. Like, that, this can't be right. Like, you know, there has to be something. And it, it's a mind sh- mindset shift, right? Is this idea of, well, why do I think this is bad? Why do I think work is bad? And examining those attitudes and then reinterpreting them um, in a different light and looking at, well, maybe, you know, um, realizing that what I'm doing is important or, being lucky that I'm able to be compensated for the things that I do or lucky to have access to the things that I do that allow me to live my life in a certain way. Um, some of those things add extrinsic value, but some of them do add intrinsic value in terms of um, how you feel about yourself and how you perceive your your worth um, as, as a contributing member to society. So, how how do we find purpose how how do we do that?
1: so it, it's a I mean it's a real challenge and it's an ongoing process, but you really think about what is it that makes you feel better than anything else you know what what is it that you I mean there are a lot of different ways to little tricks like if you won the lottery tomorrow, and never had to work again, what would you do or If, you know, Elon Musk gave you a hundred million dollars to do something with, what would you do with it? And, you know, once you get past the, you know, I'd play golf all day or whatever, and you start to really think about that more deeply, that can start to peel back some of the layers of what your purpose is. And what is it that makes you, you mentioned fulfillment. What is it that makes you feel fulfilled? You know, so it's not this transitory pleasure it's this, this deeper and more enduring kind of pleasure. One of the um, activities we gave our students was write your ideal obituary. Hmm. You know, what, what would you want people to say about you when you're gone from this world, you know, 60, 80 years from now, or however long it happens to be, you know, what, what would, what would you want people to say about you? You know, and if it's, his music was inspiring to me or, you know, his writing got me through difficult times or whatever it is, you start to reflect on that. Well, why, why would I want somebody to say that about me? And it's really this idea of going deeper and deeper and deeper until something kind of strikes you.
0: Yeah, we're getting we're definitely getting into the meat of it and really into the the philosophy part, which is what I like. And that's that last one is something that hits home truth to me pretty good because my my dad died about three months ago, and I remember um sure. you know, being at his yeah thanks um being at his funeral and um he's a fantastic guy he's really just great and he made um you know he was a, a really interesting really talented artist and he started his own business and he did a lot of these things. And um, he ended up walking away in midlife from a lot of it in order to become a a pastor. And, um, you know, he went from making a lot of money to making no money, um, went from having a career that a lot of people consider prestigious to something that is, you know, okay, well, people appreciate it, but it's not, you know, it's not held in real high regard or whatever, but... Um, and, you know, and and it's something that had a huge impact on our lives and our, as a family, you know, he was, he'd have to run out in the middle of the night to, to help somebody in the hospital or he had to do this or the other thing. Um, but at his funeral, um, it was just mind blowing the number of people that showed up and the number of people that talked and, and the things that they said and all of this. And it does make you think, you know, um, I've, I've been somebody who, hasn't really thought about what other people think a lot of my life. You know, I've, I've been doing a lot of the things that I've done just because I like doing them. And, um, it does make you reflect on that question, um, between is the reason I'm doing these things? Is it hedonistic? Meaning, am I just doing these things because I, I enjoy them as an activity or is is there a deeper meaning behind why I'm doing them? Right. And, um, that's where purpose gets real interesting, right? Because let's let's look at purpose um, from different philosophical paradigms, right? If you have um, a Christian worldview, right, like like my dad, um, then you have a preset um, notion of beliefs um, that might inform your your purpose. Whereas somebody who might be an atheist um, and thinks that everything is here randomly by chance or or whatever. They might have a. They might draw purpose from a completely different inspiration. Do you think that there is um, a, an important role for those sort of um, foundational core beliefs on how you discover purpose? Do you think you can discover purpose outside of having those?
1: Um, maybe. But I I, mean, I wonder if if there are very many people that don't have any core beliefs. You know, even an atheist might believe in community, um, right? You know, so so there's probably some set of core beliefs that would be necessary because those beliefs are part of what drive your purpose. Um, you know, if if you're if you're a Christian, you know, you serve God and you serve Jesus in a certain way, and one of the ways that you know, in the parables, Jesus served others. You know, tried to ease others' suffering and that sort of thing. And so maybe you draw some sort of a cue from that. Well, maybe my purpose needs to be other focused. You know, um, a Buddhist might say, well, my purpose is to help other people try to find enlightenment. And so, and, and I think the strongest, I, I'd have to think about this some more to make a definitive statement, but it seems to me the most powerful purposes involve some other or some set of others you know if it's just internally focused what we actually did an episode on this can a hermit flourish you know if you're out there by yourself and you never encounter another human being can you really say that you lived a flourishing life and you know the answer is not clear we came down on the side of no but you know We're just, Andrea and I are just a couple of randos out there in the world. You know, we don't know everything, but um, I I do think that those core beliefs that you have, whatever they are, are going to invariably help you focus on what you see as a worthwhile purpose and how that gives you your place in the world.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because um, this is where, again, uh, and this is what I like doing in this show, is taking people off the autopilot, right? Because right. it this involves a very important interplay between ontological and metaphysical concepts, right? Ontological concepts are those things that um, sort of encapsulate what it means to be human. But metaphysical concepts are, um, you know, things that relate to... Um, the outside world, right? And so your presuppositions or beliefs about those sorts of things um, definitely affect purpose. And so, like, let's say um, we did a we did a series of episodes on absurdism or uh, existentialism a little while back. And part of existentialism, um, as, a, as a philosophy, is saying um, essentially, you know, there's this... It, it, it's hard to... Um, it's hard. To, it, it's sort of anti, almost anti-religious. It's like, okay, well, if I if I'm listening to science, right? All right. So I, there's probably a big bang. Everything probably traces back to that. Uh, there might not be a need for a creator. Um, so maybe I'm just here by accident, and then maybe I'm going to die, and, and nothing's going to happen afterwards, and everything that I'm doing here doesn't doesn't mean anything, right? So. If if that's if that's your mindset right if you have this existential dread this sort of um that that kind of mindset can you still find purpose if if you essentially are almost admitting that life has no meaning
1: yeah, uh, you know I, i'm pausing here because i want to filter my initial thought about that a little bit you know if if somebody truly believes that then why would you even write it down you know why would you communicate that to somebody else what's the point so you know it's, i wonder if anybody's truly all the way that way but even if all there is is life here on earth and it's all kind of random you know why not lean into it in a way that makes it a little bit better while you're here you know the other thing is <laughs> This is going to sound kind of uh, flippant, I think. But also, what if you're wrong? Why not hedge your bets a little bit?
0: Yeah, and these are important philosophical concepts too. So that's kind of Pascal's wager, right? Which is saying that like, okay, so if there is a God and you live a good life, you go to heaven. And if there is a God and you live a bad life, you go to hell. If there isn't a God and you live a good life, you lived a good life. But if there isn't a God and you lived a bad life, then you lived you live a bad life, right? So, if you do the math, it makes sense to live a good life because either way, you did some good. And if there is a God, hey, you get to go to heaven, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but but if you but, guess but, wrong, then you you end up in trouble.
1: Well, but if, um, if there's if there's nothing out there, you know, if if the end is just the end, well, what have you lost?
0: Yeah, and I think that this comes back to. Um, the The existential philosophers Sartre and um, Kierkegaard and and De Beauvoir and them, um, like you said, what if you if you really if you really believe this, right? Um, then it's sort of like you're saying, well, if this is all there is, then why are you wasting your time doing things that you don't want to do, anyways? Right and. Like you said, if if that's your initial reaction, then maybe you jump to hedonism right away. Oh, okay, well, I'm going to do all of these things that just make me feel good. But eventually, you find out that those things might make you feel good physically, but at the end of the day, there's still something in you as a human. And whether or not you ascribe that to um having a soul or just having a brain that's wired in such a way that it requires something deeper, it's... It's still a fact that remains that you need something more than just the hedonistic part of it. And then you dive into this. So it does seem like, even if you did have, um, you know, regardless of what your um, prior beliefs are, your philosophy or religion or whatever, it does seem like there is a place for self leadership for pretty much anybody.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And, you know, if this is all there is, then why not maximize? your time here and like you said that that idea of enduring or deep pleasure as opposed to just the hedonistic kind of pleasure is a is a really important point because i mean we've all done stuff because it felt good and then then the next morning you know maybe it doesn't feel so good for whatever reason and so you know that's part of what what flourishing is about is what, what are those Deep things that bring you a deep sense of enduring pleasure, enduring satisfaction, and that's what you want to pursue in life.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and those things don't even necessarily have to be mutually exclusive. And and in some point, yeah. I think that getting into the deep um, satisfaction reflects itself in the other way. Like a a quick sort of throwaway analogy, right? Is that at one point I decided I need to start eating better, right? So I, I cut out added sugars. And, um, what I started to notice is that like apples and oranges and things started to taste really, really good, like really sweet. And I was like, oh wow, this is, this is almost like candy without, you know, then of course you eat some candy and you notice it's different. But (laughs) the point is, you know, you, if you settle into this lifestyle, you start to think about it's that mindset shift again, right? If you think of work as vegetables, it's always going to be vegetables. But if you start looking at it and thinking, well, you know what, I'm, I'm doing something important here and I'm, I'm. I'm having impact on people's lives directly around me and, in you know, in a, people that I don't know are benefiting from it and, and this sort of thing, that mindset shift can sort of, um, take, you know, that to a, to a deeper level. Um, so complete mindfulness isn't an achievable state. What do you think is the best we can do though? Where, where do you think we should draw that line on the autopilot?
1: Well, And and I want to emphasize again that I'm talking about an awareness type of mindfulness rather than the more meditative meditative meditative. Meditative? We'll go with that, sure. Meditative sort of mindfulness. I mean, there, there is a balance. You know, it's it's like a lot of things. There is a balance, but this is why knowing your purpose is so important because your purpose can tell you what should you try to shift onto autopilot and what should you be more intentional about and this also ties into the idea of practice and so aristotle in the nicomachean ethics and i'm not sure if i pronounce that right either lays out this idea of first humans you, you receive instruction about what it means to live an excellent life and then you have to consciously practice these things, whatever these things are. Over time, that builds up a habit of acting according to the virtues that you, you know, that you want to try to uh, pursue. And then eventually, it becomes part of who you are. So, right, what, what does it mean to be kind? So, we have to teach kids, you know, well, it's not ki- it's kind to share. It's not kind to push somebody. You know, and so we teach kids and, you know, some of us have to practice this for a long time before we get it. And then you develop this habit of kindness. So you, you know, if if you've got a basket full of things at the grocery store and you see somebody behind you with one item, you do the kind thing and say, why don't you go ahead of me? And after a while, you don't really think about it much. And so you build this habit of being kind. And then eventually you become a kind person. And so I'm glad you mentioned that that autopilot mode is necessary because it can also be very useful in self-leadership. I mean, it's like uh, a lot of management gurus say, you know, automate these repetitive tasks and then you can focus on other things. Well, you can do that for your life. You can say, okay, I want to be a kind person or I want to be a thoughtful person, or I want to be a calm person. And then you just, okay, I'm going to have to do some things that make me consciously practice calming down, you know, count to 10 or take a deep breath or whatever it is. And then over time, you don't have to think about it anymore. So at first you have to say, oh, okay, I've got to stop and count to 10. But then you just, you know, are more chill. Yeah, and be- that's. Yeah,
0: that's really interesting because that's um, it's sort of a an inverse way of applying that, right? So we we talked about autopilot as being this bad thing that we're we're trying to avoid, but you can use that to automate good tasks, and right. um, you know, so you can you can be mindful, and that I think that that kind of ups the mindfulness game. It's almost like a tiered system, kind of in, from what I've had in my experience, right? Is that if you've if you've automated these these simple processes of being kind or considered or calm or those sorts of things, um, then when when bigger events arise that require more of your mental energy or more of your focus in order to be kind or in order to be calm, you have that reserve, you know, mental energy in order to uh, address those things right. and be calm or be kind in those scenarios when it's much harder to do so. Um. Are reflection and rumination two sides of the same coin, or are they different things entirely? Like, how do we draw the line between reflection and other less positive forms of thought?
1: So, tell me what you mean by rumination.
0: So, I guess rumination would be um, just sort of focusing on one thing um, sort of exclusively, as you're thinking.
1: Okay. Well, so reflection is more intentional. I would say you you reflect for some purpose and you reflect from some framing. You know, it. it I, I'm a. I, I tend to want to reflect about events. You know, so something happens. You know, I got testy with my wife, or I yelled at one of the dogs, or whatever it is. You know, all right now. That I'm out of that moment, let me think about what were the triggers that made me react that way. How did the dog react? You know, and and so you're really focused on this one event. Or it could be one aspect of your life, it could be your purpose, it could be a lot of different things. But there is some purpose to that reflection. Um you're trying to grow from it, you're trying to get closer to. Living the kind of life you want to live, serving your purpose, being the kind of person you want to be. Rumination is just getting stuck and dwelling on something, but without any goal, without any any kind of a learning goal for it, would, would be the way I would divide it up.
0: Yeah, I think that's a pretty good definition. Um, you know, rumination is almost always looked at um, uh, negatively, and I think that there's a good reason for that. It would seem to me that maybe the, the difference between the two um, would be rumination is kind of a, um, it's almost singular in its intent, whereas reflection is drawing on mm, different um, streams of thought, right? You're Like you said, there's a purpose. So as a result, even if you're just thinking about one event, you're drawing on different things in order to sort of create meaning from that event right so you're saying okay well this is what happened so why did it happen what did it do what could I do differently you're bringing in different scenarios almost like you're trying to piece together a puzzle whereas rumination is just focusing on this happened this happened this happened you know And, and sort of digging a hole with it does practice have to be a physical act oh no no I mean, that, and this is a little bit
1: confusing because Aristotle said something like to be a musician, play music, to become a builder, build things or to become a carpenter, you know, build things. And so some people think that he was talking about specific skills, but I don't know that that's really right. Um, it can be training your thoughts. You know, you, you can become a more thoughtful person, a more reflective purpose, person, a more purposeful person without really, you know, having some particular skill in a physical activity. I mean, you're, you're a musician, so you know, you know, you, your fingers bleed, you build up calluses, and, you know, you get better and better and better, and you keep at it. And the things that you had to really pay attention to when you first got started. You just do. I I played trombone for a while. And, you know, it's hard. It doesn't have set valves like other instruments do. So you exactly where a note is varies with humidity and temperature and a lot of other things. And, you know, at first it's really hard to figure out where that particular note is. But after you've played for a long time, your ear just hears it, your body senses the differences in the temperature, and you adjust the slide position and your breath and that kind of thing to get the right note. And so this does work for physical things, but I think it works equally well for mental activities. I'll give you an example. Um, I I used to be a um, inside the car rage driver. So I've I've never had a, a terribly bad temper externally. I mean, not for a long time. So I would save it for when I was driving. And I would just, you know, I I never would, I wouldn't roll down the window and flip people off and that kind of thing. I'd just yell at them in the car. I mean, they had no idea I was yelling at them. So I figured what's the harm? Well, when I started dating my wife, I would do this and I'd notice her almost kind of draw into herself. And it turns out her father had a terrible temper. And so anytime he got set off, bad things are going to happen. And, you know... I think a lot of people have had that kind of an experience. Well, I made a decision that I love this woman, and I did not want to make her feel that way. So over time, I had to consciously stop. Okay, somebody cuts me off in traffic. Instead of yelling and screaming, I'm just going to, you know, ignore it. And over time, this became a habit. To the point at which uh, this was kind of funny, I was down. I grew up in Orlando, and I was down visiting my family, and was going out with a couple of friends that I'd known since I'd known the husband since seventh grade and the wife since tenth grade. And the wife looked at me and she said, "When did you become a calm driver?" And, and I just I hadn't thought anything about anything that was going on in the road making me. Angry. I just had become a calmer driver. And so, I, I, you know, it was this same thing. You know, I paid attention, noticed the the effect that my actions were having on another person that I cared about, reflected on how to rein that in, practice, 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 habit, then became a calm driver. Relatively speaking, I'm still not uh, the calmest (laughs) driver in the world, but, you know.
0: Right. Yeah, so seeing this pattern develop across um, all of these things, and that's a really good example. And music is a, a good example for me, um, where you know, like we were saying, you you have to really focus and really pay attention and really practice at these at these smaller steps in order for them to become automated, and then you take bigger chunks and more, you know, more advanced things and that you're thinking about and practicing. And I remember, um, one time some explaining to somebody, um, they're asking, well, how, how many hours a day do you, do you practice guitar? Right. And I said, well, that I don't sit down and say, okay, I'm going to practice for an hour. I'm going to practice for two hours or something. I, I practice based off of where I think I need help. Right. So if, if it's a speed thing, sure, I'll, I'll sit there and I'll practice for, you know, do some rote scales or something. But there's also been times where I, I didn't pick up the guitar for a month because I knew that I had fallen into autopilot and these sort of rote routines and I needed to break out of it. So instead I went and I, you know, I read music theory and I looked at some of these different things. And I consciously avoided picking up the guitar because if I knew if I did, my fingers would just go to doing the same thing that they had always done, right? So to me, that's still practice, right? I didn't touch the guitar, but I was still practicing guitar because I was developing different thoughts about music, different thoughts about how to approach the instrument. And then when I did pick it up, I I was learning something new and doing something different with it. Um, so yeah, practices that it's an interesting topic to me because, um, like I said, I, I, if somebody, if you were to ask me, right, what do you do? Right. And like we talked about at the beginning of the episode, um, my answer would probably be learn. That's, that's what I, that's what I do. And so I, I got my master's degree, um, in, in education, learning about how to learn. And now I'm moving, Mm -hmm. um, into psychology to actually try to understand the physical processes that happen in the brain and, um, and how people apply them. Um, so this idea of practice to me is, is, it's, it's kind of like you said, I, learning, um, is something that it used to take me a long time to, to, to figure things out. I'd, I'd read and I'd reread and I'd do these things. Um, and now it's gotten to the point where, i've I've been focusing on learning so long, and I've been practicing learning so long that a lot of new things um, come come easier than they used to. Um, mm-hmm. When I first took math in in college, um, i I had a really hard time with it and it freaked me out and for years, I told myself I was bad at math, right And then um, I started my doctorate and said, "Well, oh, you got to take advanced statistics or you can't be a doctor. And I said, "Oh okay, well, I'm gonna take that class first just to figure out if this is for me or not, right. And um, I was scared and leading up to it. And then the first day of class, I said, listen, I'm not going to tell myself that I'm bad at math. You know, it's a logical, rational thing. Like if I take it at the beginning and I make sure that I understand a step before I move on to the next step, I, I can do this. Right. I got an A in my math class. So, you know, so that's that's kind of that that um, that idea of practice and this sort of like you said, the, the self-directed um concept of it.
1: Well, that's also reflection. I mean, you were engaging in critical self-reflection and not critical as in criticizing, but critical as uh, evaluative. And so what what about my own thoughts are getting in the way here? And now I'm going to consciously push those aside. But you had to reflect to figure out what it was that you needed to practice in order to be a person that's good at stats.
0: Right. Exactly. All right, we're coming up on the end of our, our hour. What what should we talk about that we haven't talked about already? What would you like to touch on? So uh,
1: I, I want to touch just briefly on the idea of uh, self compassion. So one of the dangers in self leadership is that you're a crappy boss. Hmm. I mean, we've all worked for that tyrant, you know, who just demanded everything with hypercritical, and you could never do anything right. And you don't want to be that kind of boss for yourself. And, yeah. you, you know, one of, the, one of the problems with reflection is you can get into your own head and only focus on the things that have gone wrong. And not give yourself enough credit for the mere fact that you're thinking about this. You know, mm-hmm. if something happens and it didn't go well, if you sit down and try to analyze why that was, you already have put yourself in some pretty rarefied air by being willing to do that and having the awareness of the benefits of doing something like that. So, you know, you can't say, my God, I'm an idiot because I didn't pick up on this cue or "I'm, I'm I'm so lazy, I didn't do this thing that I should have done. You just have to say, okay, if I had done this other thing, Or if I would reacted differently, maybe it would have had a different outcome. And so next time, I want to know what cues made me react the way I did. And so you examine it a little bit more and, you know, well, it was this thing that set me off or it was this thing that set me off. And now I'm going to be aware of those. But it's this this evaluation, almost like you're you're a, a benevolent teacher. You know, if a teacher... Every time you make a mistake in math, wrap your knuckles with a ruler, you're going to be terrified of math. If the teacher says, well, no, stop, see, you know, you have to do this and then let's do this. And here's where you went wrong. Try it again. Okay, that's better. Now let's move on to the next thing. If you're that kind of a benevolent teacher or a benevolent leader to yourself, you'll be much more effective. So you don't want to work for a bad boss. So don't be a bad boss for yourself.
0: Yeah, no, that's really important. That's something that I, I struggle with a lot. Um, you know, because I'll take something. It, it, it just happened to me recently, actually. I'm trying to put together um, an album. It's celebrating the, the 10th anniversary of the first song that I released. So what I'm doing is I'm I'm remixing and mastering a song from every year in the past 10 years um, on an album. And it's something, it, it, it should be fun, right? It, I, I've been doing it. I've been having a good time. Well, I ran into some, uh, you know, I, I made a mixing mistake that that set me back some and then my recording program crashed and, and ruined a song and stuff. And I just got so upset and uh, oh, it was, uh, infuriating because I'm trying to reach this deadline and stuff. And um, eventually I just had to reevaluate, listen, sit down and say, look, this is something that is, is supposed to be fun, you know? And why are you setting a deadline? You know, okay, I've got it doesn't have to come out the same day that my first song ever came out. You know, I, if I get it out sometime this year, then that's good enough. You know, like I don't have to impose this artificial deadline on me. All right. The computer crashed. That's what they do. Um, I should be lucky and happy that the data is still there and I can still start from scratch and, and and build it back up rather than having to re-record everything and and do all this stuff. Um, and yeah, it takes some self-reflection to do that. And, um, my wife helps me with it a lot. You know, I I start doing this negative self talk, and she says, "Hey, would that thing that you just said? Would you say that about me?" I said, "No, no, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't call you that. I wouldn't say that about you, right?" <laughs> no gear, well, yeah. why are you saying it about yourself then? Like you're just a person, right? We're all just people. Yeah. Like you got to be, got to be kind to yourself sometimes.
1: Well, and you can't. Uh, you know, this is where stoicism comes in. You can't control what's happened. You you know you you can only control what you do to what to some extent, what happens moving forward. I mean, the Stoics would say you can only, you can't even really control that. But, you know, uh, the moving finger writes and having writ moves on. You know, you can't go back and, and erase those things. So all you can do is figure out how to deal with the cards you've been dealt. How's that for mixing metaphors there?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I like it. What else? Is there? Is there anything else you wanna you want to cover?
1: Well, I mean, I, I think I would want to just briefly touch on that idea of of control. Um, okay. You know, a, a lot of uh, what self-leadership is about is trying to take control. And we often are at our lowest uh, po- points emotionally when we feel like things are just horribly out of control. I mean, COVID kind of exposed that a lot. Um I just went through, we've, one of our goats got really sick really quickly, never been sick a day in its life. Was, you know, long story. It was at the vet for a while, came back, got, was a little bit better, got bad again. And I was afraid he was going to die. And we we don't have a, we got rid of our horse trailer because we never used it. So we didn't have a trailer and the vet couldn't come get the goat. So I'm trying to, you know, find people that might have a trailer and going crazy and I took one of the dogs for walk on the way back I thought screw this I'm tired of not having any control over this and so we put the goat in the back of my wife's little Ford escape and she got the back seat and held it and I drove to the vet's office but it was like this this anxiety just broke because I didn't focus on all the things I couldn't do I tried to focus on okay what can I do What can I do right now that's going to possibly help? And that was put the goat in the SUV and drive to the vet's office. And so, you know, we often think about all the things that we can't do or all the bad things that have happened to us. And we really have to get rid of that, having this regret and anxiety over things that have happened in the past and try to look at what's right in front of us you know, what can I do right now to exert some and sometimes the only thing you can do is shift your mindset. Mm -hmm. You know, things are bad because in our opinion, they're bad. They're not necessarily objectively bad. We just view them that way. And so if you change, like you said, but thank God at least all my files are still there. Mm -hmm. And what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to go out and get a new computer or I'm going to Take this one to the shop or whatever it is. You know what is it that I can do on these current in these current circumstances?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I was reading the Meditations of Marcus Aurelius a little while back, and it's it's along that same line. It's kind of like what you were saying—the integrating this the Stoicism with um, that that proactive mindset, right? Okay, well, what's done is done. You can't change it, so why are you going to spend all of your mental energy wishing that you could like? You might not be able to solve the the big problem. You might not be able to 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 you know take it in one chunk. But there is always something you can do in any situation that is is proactive. And stoas stoics would say that your mindset is that one thing, right? right. If there's nothing right. else you can do, what you can do is say, you know what, I'm not going to let this affect me in that in that kind of way. That's right. So these have both been good nuggets. I I ran out of questions, but I I am definitely interested in hearing anything else that you want to you want to talk about regarding the topic. You have anything else?
1: Well, I think we well I think we've covered it pretty thoroughly. Uh, the, the The other thing I would want to say is remember that finding your purpose can be a lifelong task. You know, it it can be constantly refined. So don't don't feel like you're not making progress if you don't nail it right away Um, Mm -hmm. because it really is the the best thing. And the worst thing about um, finding your purpose is that it's, it never ends. Yeah. You know, it is just always
0: out there. Yeah. I love that. We talk about that on the show. Sometimes Um, we say, you know, there's people have two kinds of mindsets, you know, they either want answers or they want questions. Right. And, um, (laughs) The, p- the kind of people who listen to our shows like the they want the questions right I love I love asking a question and then not finding an answer but finding six more questions based off of it you know right. and um that that's what's refreshing to me to hear you say that is that it would be sort of depressing right if i if I was to say oh hey i'm I'm 33 years old and I found my purpose in life
1: and you know, and, okay, I'm well,
0: done, and I'm done yeah with. you know Sure, like uh, you know, you could you could definitely go the rest of your life, um, attempting to fulfill that. But something about it being a static thing takes away from it. It it, it it's good to know that it's a dynamic thing, right? You you're going to change. We've t- we about the ship of Theseus on the show, right? Um, are you one person throughout your life, or are you different people every time you experience something different? Um, and regardless of what what the thoughts are on that, everybody agrees that you changed throughout your life. Um, right. and so your purpose and and you know what things are important to you and how you how you define those things, it might not shift monumentally from one thing to another. If it does, you probably didn't find the purpose the first time. but it's likely to mold and shape and 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 grow over time as as you learn more about it and as it as you Practice it and be, reflect on it, and you know, do these sorts of things.
1: But. Yeah, it's a it's a lifelong thing, which is what's good about it.
0: Yeah. All right, hey Craig, I, it was great having you on the show. Um, I hope we can get together again sometime and maybe discuss yeah. some other topics. Yeah, so, I'd love
1: um, to. I, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah. Until next time, keep pondering.